1: Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plant. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and you are listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Well, hey, my guest today is uh, a guy that I would like to consider a friend. I don't know if he'll own that. I don't know if he'll, uh, because he's kind of cooler than I am. So it's, it's kind of like he's the cool kid. And I don't know, man, I, 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 he's shaking his head, but okay, I'm kind of cool too, I'll admit it, I'm, I'm a little cool, but uh, right now, my guest today is a guy I consider a friend, someone I hugely respect, and I'm having a lot of fun watching right now, uh, Brian Sanders from Tampa Underground, and I feel like Kermit the Frog, like right then, i should, yeah, yay, you know, and like, there should be a bunch of Muppets singing, but uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, man, good to be here. You, you knew what was going to happen when you come on this show. It's not your first rodeo. That's the thing. Uh, I, I still don't really know what you're going to say. I mean, it's, you never know. Nobody does. And uh, <laughs> th- that's why most people only come on this show once, whereas, uh, uh, you know, you've come on twice. Now, the first time you came on, you were speaking strange and wonderful things, which uh, we knew not. And you were working with The Underground, and I'll, I'll have you talk a little bit about that. But Brian has a book out right now called Underground Church. And it's about really unleashing the church at its most powerful potential. And Brian's going to talk about that a little bit today. But um, as we get into that, um, Brian, I want to ask, first off, just real quick, one thing we always do is we just ask how you came to faith and uh, how you got involved in this crazy little thing called church planting uh, and for you, I know this is largely a part of your story. So, um, you know, that'll set the tone for the book.
0: Yeah, man. I think, I think we talked about it before, but I, you know, for me, it was, I first heard the gospel for young life. So that's that, that parachurch part of my story. And then, and then finding my way in college to University Christian fellowship and being a student leader there and, and really my, I don't know, the lordship of Jesus taking hold of me in my life. And so that's you know my early formation. Even though I did go to a church, was really in these in these two kind of parachurch worlds. And then and then you know graduating college and coming on staff with Intervarsity for you know a good twelve years. You know you do. I think when you're a parachurch person, you, you sort of you do mission. and You understand yourself as a missionary, mm. and you you can just sort of procrastinate um ecclesiology. You you don't really have to answer those questions yet. So you you know, you can have a certain amount of angst or frustration, but it's just it's just tabled. The question is just tabled until later. And it was just a matter of time. I think all of us have to answer the question of where our work of mission, our theology of mission fits in with the church. church. And right. so that's that's probably the last ten years of my journey then is you know, coming to terms with that and then beginning to plant and think about what we're actually doing is the church is planting the church and Mm. and and so I don't know, that's the I think the short version.
1: Yeah, I think you and I might have even come to the same conclusion because right now, you know, people are we like big words, right? So like modality and sodality, the Mm -hmm. beyond the local church. Um you know uh, that's that's kind of becoming a hot topic of conversation. Um, what were your conclusions as to when you were working that out for ten years? Um, where did you arrive?
0: Yeah, of course. The, the problem with, with that whole dualism, the modality sodality argument, with you know Ralph Winter. I guess I, I mean I think it's just that it isn't in the New Testament, <laughs> so uh, it's a I suppose it's a it's a it's a kind of truce almost that the the church and the parachurch uh, have traditionally called where, you know, the church is saying, let us control the sacraments and we'll fund you. I mean, that's essentially the relationship the church has right. with the parachurch. Um, and maybe, and maybe you know, for a time and in a season that worked. I mean, it was, it was almost like outsourcing mission to certain populations or demographics that the church found hard to reach. Right. Uh, I think of youth, youth, university world, inner cities, those kind of things. Those churches saying, hey, we want the gospel there, so we'll fund you. And you just have to promise you won't baptize people and you won't serve communion and, and you, won't, you won't ordain yourselves. I mean, it really just comes down to the, the management of the sacraments. But I think what's happened, Peyton, and I know you see this, is like, number one, the parachurch are waking up and saying, we're reading the New Testament too, and what we're doing, it is the church. I mean, it, it fulfills, the, you know, the kind of core definition of what it means to be the church. We, we are the church. Right. And then, the, and then churches are waking up and saying, why can't we do mission at that community college around the corner? Or why can't we? Why are we outsourcing this? Or shouldn't right. we be responsible? So the church is waking up to its missional identity. And these parachurch missions are waking up to their ecclesial identity. And maybe in, in one sense, both those things are really good. I mean, it, it probably... A little unnerving uh, in terms of our our identity and understanding how we work together and those sort of things. But I think in, I think in the end, in the long run, it's good. It's good for the church. It's good for the kingdom.
1: yeah. I agree, man. You know, it's funny, and we, and we did. I rightly uh, kind of deduced, we came to the same conclusion. That is that yeah, these things should not be separated. And even even in yeah. a before where you see the you know these these gifts that are you know that, uh, you got your radicals and you got your kind of more conservatives in there, but mm-hmm. you know, the church needs to move together to do those things. And I, th- I think we ended up a Modalic movement by basically ejecting the, uh, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets. Um, Maybe so, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's just, it's a, but that's not what we're talking about today. So I'm a bit naughty because we want to talk about this, this book that you have out with Zondervan called underground church which is really, uh, well, I'm not going to say what it's about. You talk about what it, by the way, guys, go get this book. Brian, I've been looking forward to this interview because I think Mm -hmm. Brian is hitting on things that are pretty much, uh, they're going to be controversial in their own right. I think a lot of what Brian is saying, it's so simple in one sense, it's so clear, and yet it's deeply profound and it's deeply threatening. To uh, the the existing structure, but I would say in a good, refreshing kind of old wineskin, new wine kind of way. But this new wine isn't wine. Brian, kind of walk us through a little bit about you know what the book's about and uh, and and what 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 formed it.
0: Well, you know, I a part of us maybe trying something new in terms of the the deep. Magic of the church you know, the deep structure uh, I think, I think mostly we're open to the idea of sort of changing or tweaking the way we do church, but we don't really want to look at the harder things like governance, um, the prioritization of certain things, the use of resources, money. Um, and because we were coming at it, like what could we could we reform the church in a way that had a bias toward mission? and maybe a bias toward, if you look at like the Pareto principle, like 80, 20 principle, where I don't know, 20% of the, you know, the grapes or 20% of the vines produce 80% of the grapes or even uh, 20% of the landowners own 80% of the land. This was his discovery in in whatever it was, 17th century Italy. And that's still kind of true that you've got 80% of, of, or 20% of the people in a church are doing 80% of the work and, we just thought what if we what if we built a structure, like completely rebuilt an ecclesial structure in a way that was orthodox, that, that that you know resonated with the New Testament, but it, it, it existed to serve those people who were apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, instead of the other way around. And and everything, the governance, the the leadership, the culture, the theology, the use of money, resources, the physical plant, all of those things would be marshaled on behalf of those that were doing mission and forming these communities or what we came to call microchurches. Um, you know, what could that look like? And part of doing something like that, which is frankly, was an experiment. I mean, we thought, we thought this could work and we thought this is right. So even if it doesn't work, you just you just have to live with your own conscience at some point right. and say, I don't know that I really totally agree with this this church form that I've inherited. Right. Um, at what at what point do we wake up and say we're adults? Uh, we we should not continue in something that that actually we don't think is correct, or we don't even think honors God in certain ways, or is is, is at least not consistent with our own discipleship. So we thought. Let's just do this on our own. Let's not complain anymore about the church let's let's do it the way we think it ought to be done. So that's an experiment. so to do a, to do a good experiment or research, so if you think in terms of academia, you need right. you need a clinical environment, you need uh, time and space and and and, and a, a place that's that's sort of free of contaminants or free of contagions, you know. So we did. We we sort of walked away from church from church forms, relationships with other churches just for 10 years. And it was always our plan to take 10 years and try these ideas, to test them, mm. see if it really works, to see if we could form something which was new and beautiful and had its own flaws for sure, but maybe could provide some sort of alternative, structural alternative to the way the church could be formed, at least in North America, if not the world. So the book is really... The telling of that story at the end of a, of research or at the end of a, an experiment, you should publish your results because mm-hmm. the results in a sense belong to the account of academy they, they belong to the field, so win or lose, right or wrong, if your thesis is proved correct or false, that data is valuable for everyone and so it was always our intention to kind of tell this story to publish. The results of that missional ecclesial experiment for the church to, you know, take it or you know, take take it for what it's worth. And I think right. if, if 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 nothing else to story, it's a story about a group of people who love Jesus, were committed to seeing the kingdom come, try something in our right. time. And so I certainly believe deeply. About many of these convictions, but it's nothing else. It's, it, phenomenologically, it's important because it's worth noting that this happened in a certain time and place. And, mm. and I, I think for that reason, it's, it's a, uh, it's a gift. It's, yeah.
1: You know, but, and I, I think one of the most powerful parts of your story, Brian, is uh, there's an incredible movie that you guys put together. Um, and it kind of tells a story. I think it's 50 minutes long. Um, Where where can people find that movie?
0: Yeah, I I wonder where that is posted, actually. It's a a little documentary that that, a filmmaker we know asked to do, and
1: he spent quite a number of months kind of interviewing a lot of our people and trying to tell that story. He did a really beautiful job. He Um, did, And and I'm guessing probably at Tampa Underground, we'll try to get, the link It is
0: there. That's in- right. Yeah. If you go to Tampaunderground.com, I think it's on the one
1: of the, if not this first page, there is a okay.
0: I, think I think the documentary is called Underground People.
1: It's it's um, amazing. It, and it, the yeah. the most powerful thing I thought about your story was really that, you know, you guys had come from, you know, a lot of you guys had been working in university which of course is just so empowering to everybody, you know, men, women, young men, young women. Mm-hmm. It's it's just Everybody gets kind of awakened um, to a sense of calling and their gifts and empowering others. And you guys, if, if the documentary, if I'm understanding it right, had kind of come to the point where when you guys were, okay, right, now we're, we're, we're looking for a church where, where this can continue to go on and we can give our lives to, to seeing this. And, and it was kind of like... Ugh. You know, like a, 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 a dead stop when you walk through the doors of a church, like all this incredible stuff that we've been experiencing on mission together, just as people, we're, we're, we're walking in a church and it's almost like a, a metal detector, like that stuff can't get through here. You know, we're running our show, doing our program. And so for the listeners, that was kind of the, if, if I'm understanding, I'm telling, you know, this and these Brian's mm-hmm. yeah. is wrong, but literally like there was this kind of disconnect and then uh, then you guys went over to the Philippines, right, and spent some time there. Yeah. To, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that.:
0: Yeah, some sort of breaking point. I, I mean, I think pe- people, everybody experiences a little bit of disillusionment about the church. I, you know I'm call Bart that talked about that moment where the preacher goes to the lectern, and turns on the light. Of course, we don't do that anymore, but turns on the light, opens up the word of God. And there's this anticipation, there's this hope that wells up in people. Like, we're about to hear God. You know, we're about to experience God. Um, and Bart says that so rarely happens that the church is predominantly for people, like existentially, the church is about managing disappointment, that that's our experience. Every week we we fall for it again. Every every week we think this is this is the moment if something and is going to happen. I'm going to hear God speak to me, and then invariably something less than that happens. And so now you know Bart said that, not me. But you know that I think we all have some kind of struggle with that, with disillusionment, with a sense of like we hoped, we believed somewhere deep inside us that the church. Could be more, should be more, and we see glimpses of it, flashes of it. Uh, so for us, it was just like, all right, we knew there's more. We we saw it in the pages of Scripture. We felt it in the counsel of our own heart. We saw it at some sort of primitive level in our own experience of mission, not just on campus, but in the inner city. And, and so we thought, man, there's got to be a way to to uncover this or Find a way to appropriate it in our time. And and we just thought the best people to learn from would be the global poor. This it was always our intention to go and rethink all of this stuff in a totally different context. So it took a while to figure out exactly where to go and who to who to kind of submit to in that process. But we ended up in, in Metro Manila for nine months. This was like my core team, which is 10 adults or nine adults, that's right, our 10 children. And it, it was just, you know, just enough time to give birth to something. And so we we lived in the slums, worked with the, the poor, um, worked alongside these Filipino church planters who were only working with the poor and trying to steal away at night and, you know, argue and dream and discuss and hammer out what is now the the sort of systemic spine of the underground really is born in that, that time. But of course it's, it's also, you know, close to 10 years of doing mission in an urban context, which leads us to that moment to be able to write those documents and come up with uh, maybe a a freer form.
1: Um, And then of course, you know, 10 years since trying it out. So as, as you guys kind of began this experiment, um, you had um, – what, what was the experimentation? What, what did you guys find yourself doing at first? What was kind of the, the overall vision?
0: Well, the first thing was to take these – I mean, we started with 17 microchurches. So we basically took everyone that we knew. It was about maybe 60, 70 people. Who we felt like were kind of disaffected, not really connected to any church, but kind of hard for Jesus with doing some kind of mission or had some kind of latent calling in them. Like I've always wanted to work with these people or we helped them kind of discover that. And then we launched these, I think it was, I think it was 17 initial microchurches. Now, again, the, the term microchurch is not, it's not meant to be confining. It's not necessarily small. I mean, some of them, some of them are hundreds of people. Uh, some of them are small. It's just not—that's not the issue. So, it's it can be a very small expression of church. It can be a very robust expression of church where there's paid staff and it looks more like a nonprofit, um, or it could be something very simple like a house church or some kind of an outreach to a certain community or certain place. We didn't, want to con- we didn't want to control that. We didn't want to be the ones dictating what these things should look like. We wanted God to be the one. So there's something really important in our story about not just us trying things, but asking people to hear the voice of God for themselves, to define that as calling, to say, I feel called to do this, or I feel called to start something here. When we, right. we were entrepreneurs. And then to let them do that. So the first thing we did as an experiment is what, what, what would happen if those people felt encouraged and empowered to do that? Actually, if, if we defined what the church is as mission first. So instead of saying, oh, go and start a group or go and gather Christians or go and do a worship service. It was like, who are you going to reach? What, what effect are you going to have? It'd be thinking like a missionary. Right. And the, the thing that you're going to plant is going to be a church, but it starts with mission. And so even just we're testing out can that even work? Will people even do that? Will they understand it? Can they hear God? Can they can they have can they put words to a sense of calling? Can they form community around that and then chase after it? But then you realize they're gonna need help. So just little by little over the years, we've added components. We've begin to marshal the resources in the church to help those people. So things they need would maybe be different from a church plant that is trying to say pull off a really great Sunday morning experience or Sunday morning service. There's a different um I don't know, a different wish list and a yeah. different way to use resources. So we started saying, well these people need they need a you know cohort space, they sure. need coaching or they need um startup services or they need initial an initial fusion of like grant cash. Or they need uh, cohorts of people who are doing similar things, like a leadership yeah. community they can be a part of. Or they need media services. Or they need they need financial services, like somebody to do their books for them. These are all things that that you yeah. just stumbled into to realize right. this is what this is how to serve these people. So we raise money, we take up money, but we spend it that way. Um, this right. is all part mm-hmm. of some of that we could see Peyton in the beginning. Like maybe this is part of the experiment, but a lot of it is is, is like a a very fluid, tight feedback loop of yeah. what is it that you need, and our mandate is to serve them. Our mandate is to help them thrive, yeah. to help them make more disciples, to help them reach the of people they were trying to reach.
1: Really, really, in one way, it's kind of like saying your ministry is really the ministry of others. So you're you're empowering and equipping, and in many ways, permission given. You're just saying, yeah. yeah. I, one of my one of my favorite parts of the book um, is, and funny enough, I read it um, in pre published form, and I'm I'm going back and reading with my wife the published because uh, she's really really connecting with with what you've said. Mm-hmm. But you know it's funny because my my favorite part is where you're sitting in the booth and you're just smiling like this booth man like. <laughs> It's my favorite place on earth. It's in a, am I right? It's in like a greasy spoon mm-hmm. diner kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and You're yeah. just thinking the amount of ministries that have been birthed at this table over a bowl of tomato soup and a grilled cheese or whatever it was, and just cups of coffee and just people with crazy ideas like, hey, we keep meeting homeless people that have this incredible music abil- musical ability and no one would ever take that vision serious and these guys start a recording studio for homeless people and they're right. producing albums and it's you know, it's it's leading to other things, but it's just it's what it does in the believer, it's what it's doing in the community. I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit wanted to bust loose in people's lives and you never knew it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and, and people are looking for I mean, you said the word permission, um it's it's in one sense it's sad um that they can he- really feel i don't know it's some kind of function unction or some sort of moving of right. god like you should do this and then they're looking for someone in authority to say right. you're allowed right. and i don't know if that's great i mean i kind of wish people would just feel that freedom but but yes so if if they're going to look to me they're going to sit in that booth with me and say can i do this i mean my answer <laughs> <interesting>, is yes <laughs> uh no yes but um Everything we have, the full force of the underground, of all these departments, all this kind of, you know, interconnected community that we've created now exists for you. I mean, right. overnight, they go from nothing, just like four of them in their living room, to now they have an accountant. They have an office to work in for free. They have a media department to make things for them. They have, you know, this this kind of larger missional community, that they, their network that they're a part of. They have a coach. I just, I want, I love that moment where they feel like, okay. I mean, the word it is empowered, but it is so Pentecost. You know, it's so it really is like well, the Spirit descending. Yeah. And Peter interpreting, saying, "Oh, this is what this is what was supposed to happen in the last days." Everybody
1: prophesies. Right.
0: Everybody. Everybody delivers the good news to yes. the world. Not yes. just a few people, not just the, the clerics or the special types, but everyone. Young, old, crazy Remember. ideas, good yeah. ideas. And even that word, Peyton, I mean, permission. I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at the etymology of that word, but one possibility is per being like father. It's like, what is the father of mission? What, what actually starts mission? Somebody has to say yes to us. Mm. Mm. Certainly God, but it helps. I think when somebody who's maybe a little farther down the road who carries a little bit of spiritual authority says yeah you have you have permission, and it's just a good thing, a good idea, even if you fail because that's part of the, that's part of experimentation too, right yeah. not, not all these ideas are going to fly in fact, a lot of them don't <laughs> um, but you know even that's part that's part of what a community like ours does it it celebrates the whole thing it says this was good this was beautiful this was obedient this was brave um so even if it doesn't sort of work quote unquote work you did something beautiful and you're part of us you're one of us try again Mm. do it again (laughs) do something else you know try something else and they do yeah, they do. When people have this kind of community around them and they feel that level of permission and they start with God's voice in their life, they don't really give up. They, yeah. they, they, they just sort of find new ways to express that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And you guys have really, I mean, in many ways, you, you have these micro churches, as you call them in the book, that they have um, really, they've organized themselves around mission. Which is mm-hmm. is is so very cool. It's very similar to something we did in Wales, and yet, um, you know, we 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 basically formed small groups. We called them Cogs, Communities of Grace, and then we said, "Hey, these are missional Cogs." So, some groups involve people playing Xbox, and you've you've heard my story, and you know all that. But yeah, what yeah. I'm fascinated with really is it. There's a layers to this. So, as you have these. Um, Micro churches that, that are organized on mission together. Like you said, you've got this central hub, you've got this facility, this building that isn't a church building. It's literally like a ministry powerhouse building, like a co working right. space for ministries. And they're able to, have all those things you talked about, where, well, maybe this guy needs this, but there's a ministry next to him. If I'm, you know, in, in the, was it like 20 something ministries was, was the last that I had seen uh, really working independently of one another, but alongside each other in Tampa. Like, and it was the, uh, am I right on that? Well, the, the number now is 200. So <laughs> okay. there's 200 yeah, in Tampa. A little, Tampa, little outdated um, information there,
0: <laughs> but they don't all, you know, they don't all use the same services, right? So some of them, right. you know, I think there's about there's maybe 60 that would use the coworking space, for example. So, uh, that's not even what is that? That's maybe thirty percent. Um but that's again, we, we're not we're not interested in recruiting people into our programs. We just want to help. So right. what is it what is it that you're supposed to do? And we're here to try to find a way to come alongside. So a lot of people use financial services, not everyone does. Some people don't, they're bivocational, they don't no money passes through their, their work at all. Um others you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars every year and we want to provide financial sponsorship for them and that's the other thing we resist maybe a little bit Peyton is some sort of franchising or oversimplification uh you know that's maybe my small beef with like a house church movement for example it's just too it's too it's too monolithic it's too um, prescribed like it ha- it sort of has to have these elements and always has to work in the same way and I think we're 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 maybe under um we're guilty of the sin of under-imagining under what the church can be and how it can actually be different in different contexts, how it's actually supposed to incarnate into these different contexts in ways we can't imagine. Uh, and until we go there, I and mean, until you're working with homeless musicians, until you're working with women coming out of prostitution, until you're working just with, I don't know, middle school, uh, you know, boys whose fathers are incarcerated. And so you actually, among that population, try to say, how can we be the church for them? There is no one mode or expression. I think there's a kind of like, I don't know, um, renaissance Mm. of creativity in our time. And the church is just behind. Yeah. And we think, we think creativity is like fresh music or something and a, a different kind of play or drama or something on the stage. And, and creativity has to go so much deeper than that. Like yeah. reversing stage or, um, you know, these, these, I mean, there, there are expressions of the church just in our, our city, our community that blow my mind. I mean, I just never would have thought yeah, of even, going to where some of these people go right and then the way they do it it's just way beyond one person's imagination
1: mm-hmm. way
0: beyond one person's vision um feels like and maybe i'm being melodramatic you know, but it feels like the headship of jesus over his church like instead of a human being trying to set some vision and everybody aligns to it well it's funny you say that God because
1: yeah. Cause I know you're, you're an Ephesians four uh believer. You believe these parts of the Bible, which is good. Um, <laughs> but that, that is what it feels like when you, when you decide, Hey, I'm not going to be the dude, right? I mean, that's, that's Lebowski, yeah. right? I'm not going to be the dude. I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, one of many people on a team and that automatically shifts that headship. Like you said to Christ and you feel that you feel that when you make that shift, like, and it feels so good. It feels so. Uh, it, it's alleviating. It's 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 you know a huge relief. But you know, then like you said, you get this idea that I I'm not really directing. Even even back when I had that traditional model of leadership, I only kidded myself that I was directing things. Um, I was right. bottlenecking more than I was directing. But you know, there there's a sovereign God behind you know everything no. that goes on, and I may have just been that bottleneck thinking I was directing. And I love the
0: yeah, and people don't want that pressure anyway, Peyton. I mean, all the kind of younger church planners that are listening to your podcast. I mean, be careful what you wish for. You know, <laughs> you, you you don't really want to be the tip of the spear of some big super ministry. You, you no. think you do, but you don't actually. You don't. Yeah,
1: you're right. partly
0: because it, you're replacing God in a way, and that's not. No, nobody should want to do that, but also. Burdens those people are under. They're 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 inhuman. You know, right. they're they're not good for right. us. I don't I don't think we're we're not equipped <laughs> to survive them. You know, so it's it's not good probably for the people because they feel less empowered because we're consolidating power in small
1: pockets. Yeah, but it's you're right. Like, for, yeah. No, no, sorry, man. Go ahead.
0: It's, well, I'm just I just mean it's not good for the it's not good for the kingdom. Not good for the church, and it's not good for you. I mean, so who's it actually? Who, who wants that? You know, who really wants that kind of great man theory? You know, what was it Robert Carlyle or something? All history is is the history of great men. That's right. not true. <laughs> um, right. You know, the, the the deconstructionists Foucault and Derrida—they want to say, no, no, that's forget the great man theory. It's a the great man myth.
1: Right. It is. It totally. People don't. You know, like looking at, at rock stars, right? Like it's the same thing. Everybody thinks they want to be a rock star. And you right. read a biography of so. a rock star and they're like falling <laughs> to pieces. And it's not because they're just weak. It takes a lot of strength to stand on stage, you know, with music that can fill a stadium night after night. I was reading uh, Radiohead, you know, uh, Tom York's mm. bio, where yeah. you know he writes, he says his best song ever was How to Disappear Completely. Because that's what he felt. He felt like 300 and something shows for OK Computer almost killed him. And he had to repeat this mantra, I'm not here, this isn't happening. And that became the chorus of that song. But another rock star told him, that's how you get through it, man. You repeat that over and over. Like you said, it's not natural. Probably the most grounded rock star out there is Bono because he talks about how weird it is and how messed up you must be (laughs) to want to be a rock star. (laughs) <laughs> they need that kind of attention, you know, like he's super grounded emotionally. He's like, you know, look, that's obviously there's something wrong with me if I want to do this. But, you know, but the the reality is, yeah, you're right. Like nobody's even Jesus, man. I love his model where mm-hmm. he, just, he just ditches crowds. Like, can you imagine that? Yeah. Like you're, you're at a conference and you do your thing. You just ditch the crowd, man. You just, where'd he go? I don't know. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't into that. That's, that's. That's what you know. He 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 Mm. kind of modeled that. Hey, this isn't what it's about. Hey, when we get a crowd big enough, eat my flesh and drink my blood. (laughs) Everybody all leave exactly. (laughs) Yeah, everybody go home. I'm gonna say things that are so offensive, you're gonna leave.
0: Uh, Yeah. So yeah, and then the and the restraint of Jesus. I mean, it's like every page is every page is the gospel there are these stories of him saying things and doing things, but there's all the things he doesn't say. There's all the moments where he's quiet and he doesn't perform a miracle and he doesn't aggrandize himself. I mean, it's just, it's hard to reconcile that person who carries so much authority, so much power. And yet he's so contained. He's so humble. Yeah. And it's just weird Peyton that we who are desperate sinners, like sick, sick, sick with sin, act proud. I mean, it's, it's this one, this perfect one (laughs) Mm. was quiet before his accusers. And we are just, you know, we, we like to brag and, and, and it's not a scandal, you know, so much in the church for a, for a leader to be kind of full of themselves or bragging. And then our systems, they, they follow suit. Mm. You know, we, we have systems that, and in one sense, we have the leader's That our systems demand. We have, we, we have the leaders that our systems have produced. Right. Um, when the best person in the community is the one on stage, everybody, you know, it's, it's natural to be like, well, I'm going to grow up into maturity and be the one on stage. And that's part of why the system has to be reconsidered. It's part of why we have to say, man, is this in the twenty first century, is this is this the kind of leadership that the church needs? I don't think so. I really don't. I think we need a different kind, like a a quieter, behind the scenes servant kind of posture and
1: leadership. We need them. We need strong, outstock people. But that strength's going to look different. It needs to look different. I agree, man. And you see that in Paul. You see it in his ministry, where he kind of shifts. You know, in the in the very beginning mission, you know, it's him and Barnabas and John Mark, and then. Mm-hmm he spends a lot of time in prison on his second, you know, he realizes, well, I kind of screwed up that. So I got to go back and fix and get people Mm -hmm. to babysit these Galatian churches. So, I mean, really, that's how the second missionary journey starts. It it doesn't start well. It's not as romantic as we think. And then, you know, when he's there, he ends up spending a lot of time in jail. And he's like, I can't do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot more time in jail. So he starts Mm -hmm. training others. And then his third missionary journey, he just goes, you know, I'm going to rent the whole tyrannous and I'm just going to disciple and reproduce myself and get Mm -hmm. these guys. And you see this shift where at first it's just him, Hey, me and Barnabas tag team. And you know, we're, we're the, we're the, we're, we're the stuff. We're the biz man. We're doing what no one else is doing to suddenly it's like, no, I need other people to do this to finally, it's all about what others do. It's not about me anymore. My time's at hand. I've run my race. It's all about them. And, and yeah. I love that, you know, this is an, like an 11-year time span. Like, yeah. Paul shifts completely. And, and I, I, I guess, you know, probably, you know, the, the, these lessons that you've got in the underground church, the book, are kind of like distilled wisdom out of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, probably a lot mm-hmm. of breaking. Probably a lot of those long walk down the beach talks with Jesus, like Peter had, and you know, perhaps you know, probably the best news of all about this book is that the experiment's not completely over yet, you know, yeah. um, and 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 we're still learning. So, hey, man, any any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um,
0: I, I just maybe just to say that you know, I don't, I never really mean to. You know, to tell our story in a way that's like this is what people should do, or this is better than your <laughs> church, or better than your way of doing it. You know, I really don't. I, I think that I think it's a story, and I think it's an important story, and it's worth knowing and hearing, and and finding a way to see Jesus in it, whether you agree completely with the ecclesiology or not. It's it, it, that's, that's not really important to me. Um, what's important is that we are a family. This, the, the church in North America, very dysfunctional, broken family. But we're a family. We need to know what each other are up to, and and I, that's that's what I hope. I guess in a way that the book does, and even my own flawed way of talking about the underground and 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 these ideas. It's not like let me win the argument, um, or even or even this. Let's let's let this be the next trend or something like that. It's like. The freedom to reimagine, the freedom to say, This is this is our church. It needs to express who we are. It needs to be true to our time and true to true to Orthodox Christianity. Um I I guess I just want people to feel free, Peyton. Right. And at least partly by reading our story, to feel free like, hey man, we have to make changes too to the way we operate,
1: you know. Right. No, that's good, man. It's so good, guys. Definitely check out the book, um, Brian. Funny enough, Brian didn't want to talk about underground for ten years. Um, people were like, "Hey, we got to tell your story." He's like, "No, no, I just, just give us ten years to just figure this stuff out." And there is a humility in it, Brian. I, I've never known you. In fact, I've I've heard you caution people against copying what you're doing, and and I I believe kind of like we we were you know kind of meditating on before. Uh, was just that other people would hear God's voice, you know, and maybe a stirring, you know, we can never, we can never replace, you know, or we never should try to replace what God is trying to speak to you through someone else. And those of you guys out there trying to figure out church plan and this and that, you just can't get away from that. You just can't, Ever, I think you can run and run and run like Jonah, but eventually there's going to come a fish that's going to swallow you up. And you're going to be in a deep, dark hole, going, "Okay, Lord, <laughs> I tap out now. I, I, I give," you know, Uncle, and and God, you know, the, many of those journeys, man, we've all been on them. But uh, I think what Brian is doing though, and th- this is kind of cool, is imagine traveling around with Paul. You, you know, Paul, like I said, he learned an 11 year trajectory. Um, you know, what if, what if you could just learn from someone who's been on that journey and, you know, follow a Wesley around, learn from his mistakes, learn from the things he, he, he did well, and just hear God for your own ministry, taking that wisdom, maybe those principles, not even the, the methods or the tactics, and, um, and going, Hugh Halter certainly has been inspired by Brian and is doing incredible work up in Alton. He hasn't carbon copied, although he's part of the underground network. And uh, and yours truly here. Um, I I have chats with Brian from time to day. hey man help me out. I, I got this thing and you know from time to time I'll I'll ask him can I pick your brain because um, you're further down the road on this and um, it's just really cool. So the, the book is uh, Underground Church. You can grab it everywhere that fine Christian books are sold. Fine Christian books only. And uh, anyways, if you want to catch up with Brian, you can. Uh, go trace his movements at tampaunderground.com. And uh, anyways, Brian, thanks for being on, man.
0: Thank you, Payne. Appreciate you, man. I'm
1: not going to make you fight anyone today because you guys can go back and listen to Brian's previous interview (laughs) where I made him fight someone. And uh, I don't remember who it was, but I don't think Brian wanted to fight. So uh, I I reserved this part of the podcast for the good stuff, and that was uh, what Brian had to say. So Church Planner, you've been listening to Hardcore Church planning. Thanks for joining us. Arnold, sign us out.
0: Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home.
1: You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.